liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows just don't get treated like a hoe Today I had on the great Gene Epstein. You know him from Part of the Problem, the Soho Forum, where he has eviscerated untold socialist ideas. Love this guy. I got a great opportunity given my position where I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do in terms of diversification, uh, predicting what happens to the real estate market, stock market, broad-based inflation or deflation, or specific price inflation and deflation as gene will explain the difference and i thought it was very educational thought it was great to get to bounce my ideas off of someone who is more professorial whereas i am more of an armchair analyst that is using his experience in this market uh to come to my conclusions he got to you know counterbalance me with more of facts and figures and i think I don't know if we came to a conclusion per se, but I think that uh, it certainly helped guide my viewpoints and I think it'll help you as well with your investment decisions. So if you are interested in getting your career on a better path or if you were laid off during the lockdowns, please go to our sponsor, The Daily Job Hunt. Go to crash.co backslash daily to sign up. It is a daily newsletter that will hit your inbox every morning. Just a couple minute read usually that gives you some information on how to become a better applicant to go find that job that you deserve and you dreamt of. And if you've struggled to find it, this is this is your starting point to figure out how to set yourself apart from the sea of applicants out there. Right now, it's a really great time to find a job. Apparently, there is a real dearth of quality applicants. So if you are struggling at all, please go to crash.co backslash daily and sign up for the daily job hunt so you can stand apart like you should. Let's get into the show. Welcome everybody to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. Got another special guest today because that's what we do here. The great Gene Epstein, the director of the Soho Forum debate series, the man who has decimated more socialist ideas than Pol Pot himself. Welcome aboard, (laughs) sir. (laughs) <laughs> thank, thank you for that very flattering introduction, Clint. Um, indeed, uh, I, I've I've had a trilogy of uh, so of socialist debates, and uh, you know my last one was uh, about a month ago, and I've resolved that I will never invite. Uh, uh, take a proactive move to debate another socialist. Uh, you know, three out of three ain't bad. But I guess if I do get challenged by a socialist to another debate, it's going to be difficult for me to say no. But probably uh, they'll leave me alone and this will be the end of it. Only three <laughs> socialist debates. Uh, I was uh, recently up in uh, New Hampshire in the Free State. Uh, they showed the video of my recent socialist debate and then they put me in the hot seat for about an hour and a half about everything that I did wrong in that debate. And I learned a lot from that. And, but, you know, I'm not gonna use that knowledge for the future. I just, uh, you know, learned a lot from what they said. And that video is gonna be released on our, uh, on our special uh, Facebook uh, uh, club, the, the Soul Forum Facebook, which I invite everybody to join. It's only $10. Uh, we are, this whole form is going to be up at Porkfest. Are you going to, you're not going to make it, Clint, or are you going to be there? I am, I am actually selling my house and moving out of California in mid-July, so I don't know if I can manage all of it, but I'm going to try. I see. And um, where are you moving to, Clint? 
Well, New Hampshire's on the list of possibilities. Uh, my plan is to get an RV, travel the country to any of the states that I see as potential options for freedom enclaves and decide from there. You're going to be traveling solo, Clint, or with a wife and five kids? I Solo. Solo for me. She left you, Clint, and uh, you have that all that, all that child support. <laughs> no, 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 really. no ex-wife, no kids yet, but uh, I'm working on it. I got to get some Liberty super soldiers built, you know? No wife, no kids. Well, that's good. Uh, I've got <laughs> two kids, four grandkids. Uh, I love it. And, uh, and I'm on my fourth wife. But anyway, uh, the, uh, but I think this one's going to last. She's Japanese and she's great. Uh, but um, yeah, no, I recommend uh, New Hampshire because, again, uh, there's a whole concentration of libertarians there mm -hmm. and they do want to build a free state. Oh, uh, apropos of that, uh, we are going, the cell phone is going to go up to uh, Porkfest. I'm going to be delivering a talk, which I recently working on, uh, on, uh, you know, the bleeding heart approach to wage distribution under capitalism. I think that uh, there are aspects of that that libertarians should know better. And I came to libertarianism from a sort of socialist bleeding heart standpoint. So that's a sentimental journey for me. Uh, but then also we're gonna be uh, hosting and moderating three debates. Two of them are generated from the uh, Porkfest people themselves, especially uh, 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 Dennis, uh, why am I forgetting his last name? He's got a, anyway, a Dennis, who's been in charge, who's devised a debate about the strategy for libertarians. One of the strategies uh, that uh, they advocate would be that libertarians try to build a critical mass in New Hampshire, you know, elect a liberty governor, um, secede from the union, all that good stuff. And yeah. that, that perhaps, the idea of fighting uh, on, on a national level is a losing battle, <clears throat> and that, <clears throat> and that perhaps Dave Smith, after he runs for uh, for president and learns how to say uh, "you and I" rather than "me and you," and uh, learns how to avoid calling himself the most consistent motherfucker when he runs, uh, <laughs> because a lot of people object to that. And proper grammar, if Dave is listening to this, is important. He's always saying "me and you" rather than "you and I." Uh, <laughs> that's Dave. I don't know if he's been on your show. I, actually, yeah. I think I encountered you uh, first uh, listening to Dave's show. Yeah. Yeah, must, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was uh, on there a couple anyway, months ago. So Dave might run for governor, you know, move his family up there. So I th really think you should consider the, the free state of New Hampshire. And I say that somewhat hypocritically. I'm 76. I've been living in New York City for years. I run the Soul Forum in New York City. It's a little hard for me to move. Uh, to New Hampshire at this late date, late stage of my life. But I do recommend it to uh, guys like you. Yeah. Uh, even though there's a scarcity of women. But then again, uh, libertarians are always having difficulty finding uh, women who will take any interest in them. Um, when I was looking for a, a wife uh, a number of years ago, I not only talked about being a libertarian in my in my ad on um, on um, on the what, what was it called about you know a dating site. Uh, I even said that I'm not a Zionist, so that uh, so I lost on two counts. Uh, <laughs> Jewish women would not go out with me, so I met a Japanese artist, and maybe uh, maybe you could too. Yeah, you, I'll, I'll give that a shot. We have um, a lot of very attractive Japanese women we can introduce you to, and my wife, my wife basically is libertarian oriented, and uh, but she doesn't care. But oh, but anyway, back to my plugs. Uh, uh, we are about to announce, and um, maybe uh, the news will be out before this show airs, that we finally are getting uh, William Crystal, uh, 
who's a you know, famous neoconservative, to debate Scott Horton on October 4th. It looks almost definite that we have a large uh, theater available for that, seating nearly 800 seats. Uh, and uh, we already sold nearly 700 seats when it got canceled and canceled again because of the uh, totalitarian lockdowns. But uh, uh, Bill Crystal has been a good sport. Uh, and it looks as though he's going to show up, and certainly Scott will. That'll be October 4th <clears throat> in New York City, and uh, I hope you can all make it. Uh, That'll be we, incredible. Yeah. yeah. So uh, th that's also happening. We've been struggling through the totalitarian lockdowns uh, with uh, Zoom debates. I'm getting a little bit of a Zoom fatigue having conducted those debates. I want to go back to the live debates because the Soul Formers had uh, a twofold mission, not just to host uh, great debates, one-on-one -on -one debates uh, between uh, of interest to libertarians, but also to have a party, to socialize, to get to know each other. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, that uh, that part of it has been uh, missing. Uh, in addition, of course, the debate is so much more fun when it's in person. It's dramatic. There's, a, there's an audience. It's electric. There, there's questions from the audience. And so I'm really looking forward to getting back to uh, the physical events in New York City. And I'm optimistic that we can do so in the coming year. Yeah, no, it's going to be exciting. Uh, yeah. Time to get back to real life and to real yeah. debates and get off, off the internet and yelling at each other and hopefully find out where we agree more than we disagree. So I look forward to that. Take off the face masks and, uh, you know, and, and uh, kiss and hug. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah. Um, so I've been, I've been very anxious to talk to you because yeah. uh, just to give you a little bit of my background, I was a private money mortgage broker. Oh, um, yeah, wow. So I am pretty in touch with the real estate yeah. market and, mm. and I closed my business during lockdowns, not so much because the government shut me down, but because I could no longer evaluate the collateral to proceed and, per, you know, perform as a responsible fiduciary for my my lenders because I was a private money mortgage broker, which means I take actual real people's capital and I lend it out against real estate as opposed to the bank where it's just printed money. Oh, so, when, did you, when, when did you leave that job? Uh, I, I shut down more or less. I shut down in you know May, June of last year. Oh, wow. I see. Uh -huh. Yeah, it was it was just I mean, I had been doing it on my own. I had my own company for seven, eight years. Very successful. But um so you saved a few Bitcoin, a few shekels of some shitcoin that yeah. can carry you through. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm more or less retired. I'm building six houses. And then once those sell, I'll be good to go. So that's why I'm, oh, I'm oh, now. Six houses. Oh, okay. That's smart. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm now transitioning into more of this. You sell field. six houses. Wow. In, in San Diego area? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Southern, okay. Southern San Diego down in National City. So that. So you'll have, a, you know, seven figures of shitcoin to. Uh, to oh, yeah. Oh yeah, gotta get some shitcoin. Uh, so my question for you yeah, is: yeah. I I have struggled yeah. mightily in predicting what comes next, and yeah. I I'm curious what your opinion in the inflation versus deflation debate where you fall. Oh. Also, also, um, you know, can the Fed actually decide which, and if so, uh, which benefits the most? Would inflation or deflation be? Uh, because I, I, at this point, I don't, I don't see a glide path for a soft landing. So yeah. I'm curious what you prognosticate. Specifically uh, to your questions, uh, I don't see a side path to a soft landing either. 
but uh, how hard a landing it will be, I think is up for grabs. Uh, I do think, and I guess this is uh, my, my main hobby horse, uh, whenever I, I talk to uh, my fellow libertarians, my fellow Austrians, uh, that uh, we Austrians have a lot of egg on our face. I shouldn't say we because it's not me. I, I, I actually have some egg on my face because I, I, could, I knew that uh, the, uh, the housing bubble had burst by 05, 06, uh, but uh, because uh, non-housing gross domestic product was actually rising faster in 07, I thought that there would be a landing, but not nearly as hard a landing as actually mm -hmm. occurred. So I missed the, the Great Recession in that sense. So I truly do have egg on my face. But certainly uh, this constant refrain that disaster is just around the corner. And I'll have to name them because I do like these people in other ways, you know, Peter uh, Schiff and David Stockman. Right. Uh, they've been broken clocks, you know, broken clocks, you know, they're right twice, they're gonna be right twice a day. And mm -hmm. uh, and it, it gets a little bit pathetic. They also, I should say, uh, should get out of the, the business of even interpreting what's going on in, uh, in, in, in the near term because they're constantly misreading data, cherry picking, looking at, uh, they don't know the difference between uh, the very transitory noise, data noise and data that's actually uh, worth citing. Mm -hmm. um, so having knocked these two, two guys um, who, uh, you know, can stand it because they have a lot more shit coin than you and I have together. <laughs> those two. Uh, and, and aside from that, as I say, they, they are my comrades in other ways. Uh, uh, but uh, I do think it's terrible that we're constantly looking for doom and gloom. Uh, I think obviously an Austrian has to uh, pay attention to the fact that there were always healthy aspects of a boom, healthy aspects in expansion and unhealthy. And mm -hmm. of course, what that says at the end of the day is that while uh, I think that the, the likelihood of any kind of soft landing is just extremely limited, I would say, I'll venture to say that, it's a little difficult to know uh, what exactly is going to happen. but. Getting back to your specific way of framing it, um, you said inflation or deflation. To begin with, I always like to call it price inflation or, or price deflation, mm -hmm. precisely because the uh, you know hundred years ago the dictionaries uh, even defined inflation or deflation as an expansion of the money supply or a contraction. Uh, and so it referred not to prices, but to the money supply. And that's the way we Austrians like to talk. And when I wrote my column for 25 years for Barron's readers, many of whom were in Austrians, I found it was fairly easy to just put in the word price to say price inflation or price deflation. So that's one way in which I would correct your language. But apart from that, I'm surprised that you seem to be talking about price deflation. Uh, I don't see that coming. Uh, I'd be actually curious to see uh, why you even think it's possible. Uh, the real sure. question is whether uh, the spikes in price inflation that the conventional measures are showing um, uh, are transitory or will persist. And uh, there, uh, I guess, unfortunately, I'm gonna be a two-handed economist and say that I see arguments on both sides. Uh, the argument that it's transitory is that there's so much labor on the sidelines. You know, there's, there, there's supply bottlenecks 
But uh, we we just learned uh, uh, this morning from the Bureau of Labor Statistics that 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 there's a record number of jobs of job openings in the economy over eight million. Um, the the Bureau of Labor Statistics numbers show that uh, the number of employed are uh, it's, it's uh, was it a little it's about five point three million uh, below the peak of last year, just the number of employed. So there's so much, so many people who could get jobs and who eventually will come back into the, into the workplace. It could be, uh, there's, there's an erosion over time in labor force participation, but, the, uh, but, but, but while that erosion could happen, uh, certainly we'll pick up another 4 million, 4 and a half million employed over the next year or two, so that the supply bottlenecks will, um, will, will loosen. And therefore, I think it's arguable that the inflation, the price inflation is transitory. Uh, I, I don't regard that as the biggest risk because uh, we're in a way we're just speaking in, in, in the conventional terms of the mainstream. The, the, the real question is to what extent have imbalances occurred? To what extent has malinvestment occurred in the economy? And there, uh, the, the conventional measures aren't very useful, except the two that I look at all the time are uh, two measures of housing and two measures of, uh, of the stock market. And uh, in both those cases, I could go into them to what they are specifically. Uh, uh, the, 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 well, okay, well, well in housing, uh, I just, I, I look at uh, uh, simply the house to rent ratio. Uh, and, uh, and that's uh, near the bubble levels of 06, uh, the house to rent ratio. And, and you know the, the idea of how you know of buying a house or renting a house that's a choice so the two are should be closely related and and if you own a house you can rent it out so it's like a like a, a, a price earnings ratio or a price dividends ratio mm -hmm. to to think of those terms because renting and owning are always alternatives so if the price of a house goes sky high in relation to the rent then uh, there's some correction is in order. And of course, that's what happened in, you know, 02, 03, 04, and 05, 06, going into 06. The, the price to rent ratio went sky high. There was a major correction, a major crash. And, uh, and we are about at that level now. Yep. Uh, and of course, we know why. You, uh, I'm sure you could, you obviously could teach me a lot more about housing than I could teach you, although, although I look at macro numbers. And then of course, the other, you know, uh, just to check it, when, when you're looking at numbers that are available, then, uh, then you want to look at redundancy with a blind man groping the M and uh, the elephant. You know, the blind man, you know, some one blind man thinks it's a snake, the other thinks it's something else, if you remember that parable. Sure. So we, we, we want to look at other indicators to, to verify our impression. And so the second one that I can look at, I look for whatever I can find, uh, is of course just the price, uh, the price of housing to, uh, to the to a conventional price index. And there too, it's very high getting to the stock market, the two conventional measures uh, are price to operating earnings and, uh, uh, and then a ratio. And then that's close to uh, the bubble highs uh, of, uh, of 98.99. And then the price to dividend ratio, uh, another one that helps. And that's almost as high uh, as, uh, as it was in, uh, in 98.99. So both of them 
look rather disturbing. Now, I don't know that 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 that's where the malinvestment is really occurring or the crash is occurring. I, certainly, uh, we have different circumstances applying to the to the housing bubble we're looking at now than applied in 0506. We have different circumstances applying to the stock market, but certainly they're both disturbing. And ironically, uh, however, uh, I, uh, with respect to the stock market, for example, uh, in my, uh, my my few million of shit, of shit coin, I'm I'm still a lot in stocks because I might have I might have bailed from the stock market, you know, two years ago. I mean, and it's made me a lot of money since, and so I can't time it very well. I do buy I do buy a thousand dollars worth of gold and a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin every month. Nice. Um, and uh, and that's my and that you know that makes me sort of uh, relieved that Bitcoin is lower in price because then I can buy more of it. So it gives you an interesting sort of psychological uh, mindset with mm -hmm. respect to these things. And uh, so that that's the best I can do. But clearly, uh, the uh, this is not going to end well. On the other hand. Uh, and again, I guess I've been driving listeners a little bit crazy with my uh, with, with my two-handed economist routine. The, you know, the witty thing that uh, Harry Truman once said, give me a one-handed economist, because I'm constantly <laughs> having to say on the one hand and the other hand. So now I'm a two-handed economist. Certainly, there are healthy aspects of the resurgence in the economy. Last year, I wrote a, a, an article called The Great Suppression, in which... Uh, I, uh, I, I began by quoting Murray Rothbard in his book on the Great Depression of the 30s, in which he stipulated that not all uh, downturns uh, are caused uh, by, uh, by an expansion of the money supply, are, are caused by, by, by the ways in which the government uh, creates a false impression through the interest rate, and then which results in malinvestment. I, to, to sketch out what the Austrian business cycle theory is, very briefly, it, 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 sometimes, the, sometimes the king goes crazy in different ways. He cites a few examples. Well, last year, the king went crazy. They simply declared that all commerce has to stop. The, the, the lunatics did that, and, uh, and, and, uh, and a great suppression occurred. And therefore, I predicted that once they lifted the lockdowns, then, uh, then, then uh, the economy would start to come back. They, they're clearly going to destroy business, but, but, but they're not, this wasn't malinvestment. This was many very quite viable businesses that were shut down that could come back. Certainly. And so that's also what we're seeing. And as I say, uh, the, the real mistake uh, that uh, some of my colleagues make and that many Austrians make is that they don't recognize the healthy aspects of, uh, of even a malinvested boom. And certainly there have been healthy, healthy aspects to the resurgence in the economy now. Yeah. So uh, I guess that's the best I can do in answering your specific questions. Although I'm surprised that you that you've been talking about price deflation. I mean, yeah. That, well, let that's me, nothing let me I've give... considered. Where, where where do you get that idea from? Well, let me give my case. Uh, would you oh. would you not consider the 0809 bust as price deflation? Price deflation. Well. Um, not according to the conventional measures, and here, uh, not because uh, that. While it is true that that the the conventional price indexes declined, uh, the, the I could look it up right now. The decline was pretty mild. I mean, it was. I mean, it was a little bit too mild an, an event to start calling it a 
price deflation. Well, I guess this uh, this may be the the argument yeah. then, because it's uh, yeah. or or perhaps you could argue it was transitory since it bounced back relatively quickly. But from someone who was on the ground in yeah. the real estate market who liquidated yeah. oh, over oh, 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 hundred oh, okay. foreclosures. Oh. Okay, it felt just, pretty deflationary, you know? Okay, uh, okay, just a moment. This is okay. So, all right, fine. I'm a big picture guy. No, I know. Talking, I'm, I'm just, that's talk, why I'm clarifying terms. Talking to a guy who ran a mom and pop shop. You know? <laughs> right. And so, so just to condescend to you completely. Oh yes, of course. <laughs> of course. I mean, look, specific price oil, you know, this price deflation in oil, you know, there was, it was a right. great event. I predicted it, you know, from over a hundred a barrel to lows of the, in the twenties. If that's what you're talking about, I thought you, I thought you were talking to, to, um, you know, to, to a big picture guy. I hate to use the word macroeconomics because it's a it's a terrible word that the that the mainstream invented. So I don't use that term. I'm just talking to you about the big picture. I'm talking about the array of prices generally. Mm -hmm. I thought that's what you're talking about. Uh, and then, oh no, no, of course, no, no, indeed, obviously, the, the we did have a a collapse in the price of houses. And if that's what you what you mean, then of course uh, that's that's indeed what I mentioned, which is that the the price to rent ratio is clearly at bubble highs. The stock, we that that's another asset. Housing is an asset. Yeah. So so there's a danger that we could have a major correction in the stock market and yeah. a major correction in housing, both of which are what you, as a mom and pop shop owner, like to call a price deflation. But I think that's a little bit of a misnomer. The general array of prices uh, didn't uh, collapse. Uh, they f fell generally, but didn't collapse. And so that's gotcha. where I want to correct you. That's all. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Th this is, this is, the, so I guess I'm, I'm trying to yeah. find out what you envision or I'll, I'll, I'll lay out my case. Well, so well, I, your I, case. Okay. go ahead, please. Yeah. yeah. I, the reason that I'm so concerned is because we have PE ratios and we have housing, we have, you know, rent to home price ratios all yeah, yeah. approaching or in, in many areas exceeding the peak of 0708, as you just said. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. So my my belief is that that time was unhealthy because it was predicated on you know loose lending standards that indebted many people more than they should have been, mm -hmm. uh, and and once again we are experiencing that. However, yeah. interest yeah. rates are now about fifty percent lower than they were at that peak. So you actually have yeah. the potential. And in yeah. my opinion, the reality yeah. of a far greater malinvestment this go around. And that yeah. is why I am more concerned about this. What I feel is a potential for a deflationary, a price deflationary oh. collapse in the short term with a hyperinflationary death of the dollar long term. That's that's what that's why I think oh. so because yeah. of the, the, the amount of debt that the federal government is in and the fact that they can't carry it if they normalize interest rates. I mean, that's mm -hmm. that's. A fact, correct? Or am I wrong? Uh, the federal government, well, you mean the treasury can't carry it. If, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's so, true. so yes. today's episode is also brought to you by our friends over at earlyfruithempco.com. Every day, more and more people are looking for CBD as a means of relief. But with high demand came a flooded market. With CBD everywhere and marketed for everything, it may be high, hard to find a product that works for you or one that works at all. It's important to get that high quality stuff. Early Fruit Hemp. Co. is an online source of organic hemp and handcrafted CBD, grown and produced in small batches by American families and shipped right to your front door. Find natural relief at earlyfruithempco.com. Their well-curated selection of craft CBD is sure to have what you're looking for. For two years, they sought out and served their community the highest quality, cleanest hemp flower and craft CBD extracts available, and they are excited to bring that same experience to you. 
as a special offer. Go to earlyfruithempco.com and use the code LIBERTY at checkout to receive 10% off your order. Again, go to earlyfruithempco.com. If you've had any lingering ailments, I would highly encourage you to check them out. I used it for uh, Jumper's Knee. Help me tremendously. Again, go to earlyfruithempco.com. Let's get back into the show. Normally, what you would see is the Federal Reserve would hike interest rates to try and and cool down this quote-unquote transito- transitory inflation that we're experiencing. Yeah. However, because our debt levels are so extraordinary on mm. a national level, I'm not sure that they can do that this time. If they do, if they try to, even if they increase it slightly and it and it causes kind of a you know, fissures within this incredibly over-indebted economy. My concern is that you could see a transitory price deflationary collapse similar to the 08, 09 one, and then they will probably swoop in with, you know, crazy bailouts and 0% or negative interest rates. Um, so this, this, is what I'm, this is what I'm seeing. And this is why I think that there's a potential, even though they're printing and borrowing extraordinary amounts over the past year and into the foreseeable future, I could still see if they increase interest rates, uh, uh, price deflation. Okay. Uh, well, I share your concern. I still don't understand why, uh, after I've corrected you from my, uh, from my uh, big picture perch, you keep using the term price inflation. There could be a collapse in these two assets, collapse in the price of these two assets, housing and stocks and equities. That's right. what you're saying. Yes. But, but that's all. When you, when you just when, again, when you say price deflation, uh, you forget that uh, you know, we do buy food and so many other items, not just houses and, and equities. True. And therefore, they, they will be uh, dampened. But um, of course, we're not going to see a price deflation. We, we are going to see a, a, an asset. We have, we have two asset bubbles, and, and those, those asset uh, prices could collapse. And it could uh, it could affect the rest of the economy. Uh, and, I think, uh, I think because I am, a, I am a mom and pop, you know, retail investor manager. That's why oh. I view it that way, because those are the two biggest investment classes for, okay. for people. Well, so, you know, well, fine. You talk about investment classes, but I don't yeah, I think I mean, I mean, I guess you're only confusing me because I, I'm an informed uh, listener. But, but when you can, when you keep harping on the term price deflation, I know, I know. I guess the audience is getting a little bit bored with my carping on this. Then you mislead. The point is that you again, you're saying that that these two major asset classes, housing and equities, which is where you know most of us have our money. Most right. Americans have that. Most Americans, of course, have it in housing. This this could really hurt. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I share your concern. Uh, absolutely. I, 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 I've, it's just, my, my concern has just been tempered by uh, the feeling that, uh, that we never quite know when uh, a, a housing bubble uh, or a stock market bubble is really going to hurt the rest of the economy. Uh, I, 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 I've been humbled over time. Uh, about uh, the resiliency of the rest of the economy, the resiliency of the economy generally. I, I think that a lot of bubbles are bursting. The, the Federal Reserve causes mischief all the time, mm-hmm. but not infrequently, uh, a lot of the rest of the economy weathers it. On the other hand, you can make the point that uh, this time is a little bit different. It looks like it could be severe. Uh, I agree with your point. Uh, about the degree to which the Federal Reserve is between and the Treasury is sort of between the, a rock and a hard place, 
potentially they are. Uh, it, 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 it certainly amazes me that people are still willing to buy, uh, you know, 20 year bonds at a little over 2% out for 20 years, 2%. It's insane. Uh, that, that's well, it's, it's been happening for a long time. Yeah. The, the, the point, the, I don't know if, uh, if you're aware of this, but in a way you, you've framed it as though the Federal Reserve is kind of managing things and perhaps you've left out uh, the, the group that we used to call the bond vigilantes. In other words, the, when, when you go out of the, the yield curve 10, 20 years, the Federal Reserve is trying to control it. Right. And there's real debate as to whether it really has by buying those bonds. You know, you buy those bonds, which is been doing unprecedentedly that's been called quantitative easing mm -hmm. but uh, but there's really a debate as to whether it's had much of an effect and certainly the, the global marketplace could overwhelm it that th those are the folks we used to call the bond vigilantes they, right. they could they could undermine that and and beyond the fed's control beyond the treasury's control interest rates could go back to four or five and six percent and that would indeed make it very difficult for the treasury to pay its bills uh, but uh, but uh, so that uh, I will allow, I can only elaborate on your point that I share your concern. Although again, uh, I'm willing to be surprised that uh, that that disaster doesn't strike. That perhaps the, the the downside correction is going to be hard, but not so severe as to bring something like the the downturn of 0809. You right. seem to be predicting. Uh, a downturn and, and an unemployment rate and a slowdown in the economy that's even worse than what we had in 08 and 09, and that could happen. Uh, but Just simply again, because I, I believe yeah. this economy is is yeah. ultimately less healthy and, and because it's been propped up on 50% lower interest rates than what was record low yeah. Yeah. interest rates in borrowing at, at that time. Um, so that that's my concern. I, I really don't, I don't well, have a, a firm, you know, opinion as to how this plays out. Uh, but I, I did want to ask you, okay. do you think, do you think there's a point at which say, say these bond vigilantes, they, they stop buying the bonds. Uh, is there, is there a limit at which the, the central bank would not monetize and just buy all of our debt? Cause it seems as if they have accepted full-blown MMT, you know, like there is no limit to what we can do. Um, am I, well, am I misreading that? Well, to put a fine point on on it, uh, when you say they won't buy the bonds, it's just that at at the treasury auctions, uh, they'll just bid. They'll start bidding lower and lower prices. You know, so right. lower price for a bond means a higher interest rate. They won't stop buying, but but they'll really lower their bids. They'll say, like a vault. You know, we look. We could be looking at four percent inflation going on twenty True. years. And and uh, and I used to buy at two percent. So that's what they do. Uh, but then. Uh, but the idea that the, <laughs> the Federal Reserve is going to monetize all of the debt, I guess that's what the modern monetary theorists uh, think is fine. Yeah. Although they too are a little bit afraid of price inflation. I like to call those people the modern, I like to call that theory modern monetary tyranny because <laughs> it really, what what it's all about is that the, the, the federal government doesn't have to raise money by uh, taxing or borrowing doesn't have to come to the people and say i'd like to tax you i'd like to borrow from you which at least is a little bit of a of, of calling us up and asking if it's okay 
they don't have to call us up at all. All they need to do is print the money, you know, right. and that's what governments love. So as uh, as one of my colleagues called it, that's you know that's Keynesianism, uh, you know, squared. That's 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 the ultimate lunacy. I think that even they would begin to acknowledge that that's probably going to cause price inflation, and of course they haven't serious price inflation if the the treasury monetizes all the debt. Yeah. And so I think that uh, that will lead to disaster. So I think that, and and I also believe that the Federal Reserve is cognizant of that danger, and so it's unlikely to happen. I do want to go back to one point about you know sort of giving it on the one hand, on the other hand, the only the the, the only point I'd stress is that there are healthy aspects of the demand for housing. A lot of people are sort of move, uh, spreading out. Uh, uh, they, 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 they want to leave cities. And so, and they've saved some money partly because of the lockdowns. And so they want to buy houses. The, the part of the, part of what's happening as well is that housing starts are still well below where they were in 05, 06. So inventory is incredibly low. I'm sorry, what? Inventory is incredibly low. Incredibly low. So if the in, so that so it's it's, it's partly a supply driven bubble more Certainly. than it was before. So it's a little bit different, which makes it makes me a little bit less concerned about it. Uh, um, and then uh, uh, in addition, as I've said, we do have a strong resurgence from the Great Suppression occurring. That that's natural and hard to stop. So that could offset the harm from the bubble, from, from the bursting of a bubble. Uh, and so that that's the reason why uh, I'm, I'm not sure of your uh, uh, de depressing scenario, even though I acknowledge that it's quite plausible. Yeah. Uh, but then again, going back to your question, what will the, what, what can the Fed and Treasury do? I don't think they can monetize all of it. I think they will hope that they'll, they'll hope for some kind of soft landing. It seems to me that inevitably uh, the Fed is going to have to uh, respond by tightening for sure. Of course, as plenty of mainstream commentators point out in the Wall Street Journal, this is bizarre. This is exactly the time when they're supposed to take the punch bowl away, when, yeah. when they begin to see price inflation, when the economy is growing, and yet you know they continue to keep interest rates down. And I think you put your finger on why it's not happening, why they're concerned, but they will have to start uh, moving in that direction. Uh, but to, to introduce an unrelated topic, the long-term, uh, I won't call it doomsday scenario, I was about to call it that, the long-term scenario that's also depressing is that the pileup of debt as the Congressional Budget Office keeps warning, is, is inexorable over the next 10 years, 15 years, and, uh, and eventually uh, the interest rate's going to rise. Uh, amazingly, there are mainstreamers who think that it won't necessarily go up. The average interest rate, average interest rate on Treasury debt is 5.8% uh, over the last 65 years. Uh, if it goes just back up to 4.5%, uh, given uh, the enormous amount of debt, it's going to it's going to start, you know, crowding out the federal budget. And so that could, as the Congressional Budget Office keeps forecasting, could cause a fiscal crisis, uh, which could be 10 to 15 years away. In other words, you and I, you and I are talking about 
the near, the relatively near term or intermediate term concerns about the stability of the economy. Uh, now I can talk about the the long term concern. Uh, the long term concern is that is that the the politicians clearly do not want to do anything about entitlements. They keep spending more and more. The the, the country has gone crazy. We, we we do have a few deficit hawks left, myself included. The Congressional Budget Office has been a deficit hawk organization, and that's the reason why I like to cite them because they are nonpartisan. They tend to be Keynesian. They are mainstream, and yet. They keep uh, providing useful scenarios for the pileup of debt to GDP to 150%, 160%, where eventually it's it's going to hurt and eventually could cause a, a fiscal crisis 10 to 15 years out. And that's another reason why I buy gold and Bitcoin, mm -hmm. although I'm beginning to be concerned about buying gold. It looks as though it, it might be uh, a thing of the past, but Bitcoin uh, does seem to be uh, an instrument that one should buy. Yeah, yeah. well, we'll we'll get into that uh, yeah. in a little bit, but yeah. I wanted to circle back to, uh, you know, I, I about the real estate market and my yeah. assessment of it. It's not, it's not that I think this is, you know, purely a bubble. I mean, there, you are absolutely correct that yeah. that much of this is is healthy market behavior in that there is not enough supply and there is a lot of demand. So prices should be rising to try and find that equilibrium. Um, my concern is that these price levels are unsustainable, that, that people oh. can't, if you were to have normalized interest rates, that even at these price levels, which is coming from an economy that isn't healthy to begin with, mm -hmm. and, and people are paying seven, $800,000 for a starter home, and the only reason they can afford it is because they can borrow at two and three quarters percent for 30 years. I mean, this is like massively record low interest rates in my lifetime, at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it just, to me, screams unsustainability if you have a normalization of rates. And, and a normalization of rates, as, as you've just said, yeah. is in, in, our, in our economic worldview, an inevitability that you cannot, you cannot maintain these, these low of interest rates because the market will overheat if you continue to borrow and there's no, there's no semblance of fiscal sanity in the offing that I can tell. Um, plus the, uh, as I say, plus the, 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 uh, the bond market vigilantes could strike uh, on, on the, on the long end. Yeah. True. True. And then, yeah. and then there's a, one other aspect that I wanted to mention is that because of the lockdowns and because of the foreclosure and eviction moratoriums that has held back millions of houses and in inventory that would have potentially been foreclosed on over the past 12 months as people were laid off. So we have delayed as we always do. We have delayed the day of reckoning. We have not, we have, you know, we locked down the economy, which was insane and stupid and should have never happened. But if you're going to do that, normally you allow the market to correct, which is people that were on the cusp of foreclosure. Those houses would have hit the market. People that had been you know, wise and had saved and invested and, and had their, their capital ready to deploy would have been the buyers of those houses. That, that inventory would have helped to balance the equation and not create this bubble atmosphere mm -hmm. where you have 30 people bidding on on seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars starter homes. I mean, this that's is, good news for you. You're gonna sell those six homes. Eh? Uh, yeah, it's great news for me. But I, I'm I'm super nervous about yeah. about this overall equation. So I'm just yeah. curious, what gives you such? You seem to have no some some level of uh you know comfort or like you can you you, you seem to be more optimistic than me. So I'm just trying to okay. understand that. Well, okay. 
that's that's a that's a very old story for me. I, I as I as I say to people like you, you know, if if this is if if I'm optimistic, then uh, then then I you know I'd like to be a pessimist. I've acknowledged that your scenario is plausible. I'm only <laughs> I'm only saying that I see certain doubts. You you're pushing your point about prices and about the way it will play out, and I think you know I can I I can repeat. That it's plausible as well, but uh, certainly I'm nervous about it. Also, please, that hardly makes me an optimist. Okay, right? okay, okay. Well, it just seems just, seemed, just it, that, I mean, as I say, pre usual, pre usual. I'm an optimist compared to um, you know, brilliant minds such as yourself, or, <laughs> the or, Peter Schiffs of the world, <laughs> or or, or stopped clocks like Peter Schiff and, and David Stockman. So compared to what you know, uh, I'm, well, let, I'm. Let me I'm clarify that I am not yeah. a perma. I am not a perma bear like some yeah. of these guys. I, yeah. You know, in 2000. 10, 11, 12, 13, I was screaming at anybody that would listen to go out and buy real estate because no. I, I thought it was a tremendous value. And I was right. And it doubled over the past you know seven years and it so doubled again over the past 12 months. So you've actually built six houses in the San Diego area? You're, you're, yeah. You're all, I mean, are, they, are they near to completion? They've been completed? What? They should be completed in about 45 days. So I will be dumping all of them. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's that's pretty impressive. Uh, I see. Well, again, uh, uh, you're you're trying to push me to be as pessimistic as you, and I guess I Actually, have to I'm sort not. this I don't, one out. I, I don't want to. Well, I don't want to sway you to my perspective. I'm well, trying you to stop. What do you mean? If you think your perspective is right, it's a friendly exchange. What? No, I know, but I'm saying I'm saying yeah, you yeah. you seem to have more calm yeah. about it than I do, and I'm trying oh, to calm. I'm trying oh. to get to that oh. place. Like basically, I'm okay. asking you to calm me down. You know. <laughs> Oh, I see. You're hoping I can persuade you to move to my position yes. to see some doubts. So, so okay, just a moment though. You, so you, well, uh, look. Uh, l l let me interview you just to see, just to understand where you stand. Just lie on the couch. I'll take notes here. Where you're saying that uh, you uh, you think that there will be a bursting of the housing bubble and probably a similar bursting of the stock market bubble uh, over the next 12 months, and there's going to be a major. Uh, economic recession worse than the 08 and 09 downturn. Not yeah. not over the next 12 months. I think it's oh. over the next probably three to five years. Um, oh, 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 wow. So I'm yeah. I guess I'm an optimist too compared to Peter Schiff. But uh, oh. you know, I, well, for him every every year was the down year. You know. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> when, I, when I was on, I was on. I, Tom Woods invited me to have a discussion with David Stockman, um, and uh, and then Tom was rebuking me afterwards for debating David Stockman. So I told him, David, you've been forecasting uh, doom and gloom every year, and he said, Oh, I've never put a timer on my forecast, and I quoted him back to himself yeah. <laughs> every year it, he gets on cnn and they or cnbc and they love to hear him sound off so right. these guys every year anyway uh we beat up on those guys uh i guess plenty but getting back to you you're not a perma bear and you look at it three to five years out okay wow all right. Well, that makes me feel better. I mean, actually, when when your time is three to five years out, because you're being a little bit cautious, but that sort of gives you know that gives time a little bit of time for a you know a slightly softer landing than you seem to anticipate. You know. Yeah. Well, the, the reason uh, the reason for it, let me explain, yeah. is because the inventory is so low. I mean, it is yeah, yeah. it is there's a million houses for sale nationwide. I've never yeah. seen inventory that low. It's no. it's nuts. And yeah. the nor normal market equilibrium is is five to six million houses uh, on the market at any given time. So we are miles away from it. And because of the re regulatory environment that prevents building from being approved and thrown up quickly, 
it's going to take a hell of a lot of time for us to get that market equilibrialized. But the 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 real the real key to me is not even so much inventory as it is interest rates. This market is completely dependent on oh. these record low interest rates. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and if the national debt becomes such a burden that and we start to see a real overheating in the you know in M2 and you have you have actual price inflation that's occurring broad based, I think that the Fed would if they see this is this is really the the final question I have is like oh. I'm trying to understand do they do they value the US dollar anymore? Because the way they're behaving it seems as if they don't. Or do they just have such different economic worldviews that they don't see the danger that we see them being in? Well, yeah, no, okay. That's you've been, you've asked some good questions. Uh, and uh, uh, with respect to the value of the U.S. dollar, bear in mind that, uh, contrary, for example, to what Peter Schiff keeps predicting, uh, if you look at uh, the uh, any measure of the exchange rate on the dollar compared to other currencies. It's Strong. been holding. Yeah. It's been holding. So again, part of the story is you know we're uh, you know we're in the toilet, but then uh, compared to what? Compared right. to a race uh, to the bottom. Well, it's not. No, I wouldn't use that metaphor. The race to the bottom. I would say that it simply means that uh, that uh, you know we're uh, we're not doing well. But but then uh, those who would put their money into the U.S. economy versus other economies. Foreign investors uh, who look for opportunities still tend to perceive the U.S. economy as a better place or a less worse place than other economies of the world. Well, and, this, uh, th and there's a good good analogy for this that's that yeah. is so perfect. Yeah, and I think it was like '99 or something like that. Moody's came out and they they wrote down or they marked down uh, U.S. Treasuries, and because people are so accustomed to using U.S. Treasuries when there's, you know, bear market signals. Yeah. <laughs> People piled into treasuries because treasuries had been marked down. I mean, it's just, it's just remarkable how, how much people believe in this. They're just, it's kind of like rote memorization. Like they just continue on this path. They, they will, they will seek us dollar and us treasuries as a safe haven, regardless of all of the telltale signs of, you know, malfeasance that I see them utilizing. Well, Yes, uh, I you know I didn't I mean I remember the event when the Moody's is, has the temerity to mark down uh, uh, treasuries. I didn't know this other part of it uh, that you just recounted. I if I knew I'd forgotten. Well, I read uh, about it. I don't know if it's well, true, but <laughs> well, imagine it's true. But but again, I'm not clear on why you're saying that they're totally crazy. Uh, my hope, my hope is that when the shit hits the fan, three to five years out, ten or ten to fifteen years out that uh, there will be a, uh, a movement into Bitcoin. Uh, that's my hope. But, and my, uh, you know, more than just a hope, uh, I think it's not implausible. I think it could happen. Uh, and, but uh, the more recent perspective over the last few years or in 1998, 99, before Bitcoin even existed, uh, was that uh, the only alternative really is the dollar and and, and treasuries. So uh, again, people, uh, you know, just take, you know, the, the third or fourth best solution. Economists always ask, compared to what? You know, capitalism is the worst form of, uh, worst way to organize the economy, except for all the others. Right. Paraphrasing Churchill's dumb remark about democracy, which 
totally sucks, but uh, <laughs> but because it, it's fifty one, it's the right of fifty one percent of the people to piss in the soup of the other forty nine percent. But but capitalism definitely uh, has its problems. But compared to what? Uh, and similarly, the U.S. economy is clearly screwed up. But compared to what? So it's not completely irrational. Uh, you know, no, no, yeah. the, the poor people of the world still risk their lives to be poor in America, and mm-hmm. so uh, there there is a. Uh, a possibility uh, that uh, th- that uh, things won't be quite as bad as you indicate, and that and that the crazy world is not quite as crazy. So, when uh, getting back to your question, you you asked, uh, what can we read the mind of 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 the, those who run the Fed, those who run the Treasury, Janet Yellen, the others? Uh, yeah, I I think that I think that that to to some degree, they have to be in denial, but but to some degree, when they look at the charts and they look at the the, the constancy of the dollar, the, the fact that the interest rate has re- has declined just at the time when the U.S. when the Treasury and the Federal Reserve began to misbehave worse and worse, they can start uh, you know uh, uh, confusing themselves about right. uh, in a, toward an, uh, in an optimistic direction. Although I'm sure that they do understand that they'll have to turn around eventually and and hope for a soft landing uh, and then hope to cover their ass. I mean, you know, I mean, when you unravel the sort of things that Bern Bernanke wrote, the self-serving things he wrote about himself, or, or reach back to Alan Greenspan, I could cite crazy things that he said in which he tried to cover his ass. Here he was, to my mind, of course, the classic case of here, amazingly, a guy who at the age of 40 writes an article called Golden Economic Freedom, uh, where I think the first sentence was probably written by Ayn Rand since it's so fiery. You know, he written he, re- he wrote it for the objectivists. Uh, it sounded that it sounded like the first sentence of the of the Communist Manifesto <laughs> about how gold makes the ruling classes tremble. And mm-hmm. so here he is, a, a sort of rock ribbed free marketeer, becomes. Uh, then crashes the Potomac fever and becomes uh, the, Fe- the Fed chairman who walked on water. And then he sees the economy unraveling before him. And, he, and of course, he's blamed. And then he gives these, this ridiculous excuse about it. Uh, so again, uh, you, you want to read the, the mind and heart of these crazy, power-hungry, incompetent people who are mostly seeking the three most important drugs the uh, the society has to offer sex money and power mm-hmm. and greenspan actually did help himself to all three sex money and power and so that's what they get drunk on so uh, so i haven't exactly reassured you about these people and no no but that's no, that's good yeah, i mean it's yeah. it's it's highlighting uh, i mean that's that's basically what my question is you know yeah. are are they are they, uh, is it character flaws or, or ideological ones? And it sounds like it's a combination of the two, most likely, but more character, it seems, as if you land on yeah, that side. Yeah, a lot of his character is incredibly seductive to, to become, uh, you know, chairman of the Fed, to, you know, head of you know, Janet Yellen has become, you know, head, head of the Treasury now. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's a powerful lure, you know, really, you know, lifts your depression you don't have to uh, as a you don't have to be uh, in Bernanke's case be a sloppy ass economist you know droning on b- before graduate students this is the whole spirit of John Maynard Keynes uh, mm-hmm. and uh, that's of course the, the nature of the corruption of, the, of mainstream economics it seeks power it formulates its ideas according to power as a subsidiary it formulates economics like it's, like it's a branch of math and physics which mm-hmm. is part of their way of making economics seem obscure uh, although beyond 
beyond that, sometimes it is surprising that mainstream economists still have a few perceptive things to say about the economy when they have their head screwed on right, which every once in a while they do. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, it's not, they're not a complete and total loss. But, but in any case, uh, certainly uh, it, it would be hard for me to believe that, uh, that, that the powers that be uh, at the Treasury and the Federal Reserve don't understand the risks and aren't afraid of the risks just as you indicate. Although when you talk about a three to five year uh, uh, time horizon Tipping for your point, scenario, yeah. I'm sorry? Tipping point, yeah. Tipping point, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, the, the time horizon when it's gonna happen, the tipping point, mm -hmm. yeah, okay. Uh, uh, um, I see you know, the potential for other factors. Pe people are, uh, employment is gonna rise. We are at, at now at this point, as I say, way below uh, the level of a year ago in terms of employment, in terms of people earning any money. For the, sure. The, the, the can be somewhat mysterious at times, countervailing forces, the, the, the broad back of the degree to which we actually do have a market economy I, or has always impressed me. It hasn't sufficiently impressed some of my Austrian uh, colleagues. And so that's why I still see some potential doubt in uh, in your scenario, sure. and the fact that it's uh, that it's three to five years out gives me some uh, greater confidence, a little extra smidgen of confidence that maybe the landing will be a little bit softer than you say. Although it will certainly be uh, an economic downturn. There's no there's no such thing as a soft landing. It, there are only degrees of hard landings, right. and this may be a landing that's uh, that's not so hard. We did. I mean, it, it's very difficult for almost any. Austrian, to my mind, to explain the the history of the U.S. economy that I've lived through at the age of seventy six. We had uh, in the nineteen sixties, we had you know uh, eight nine years of, of of an economic expansion. The the mainstream economists were were claiming by nineteen seventy or so that the economy was recession proof. Then uh, then we had a rather disturbing recession in 70, a, a really severe downturn in 74, 75, which broke their confidence. Then, of course, double-digit inflation, which, which forced Paul Volcker, then head of the Federal Reserve, to do something that I actually do admire him for. And I've seen him hang out with, with, uh, with free market Austrians. Uh, you know, he's, he can easily be spotted in a crowd. He's six foot seven. You know, he did uh, raise the, the short-term interest rate to 22%, intending to break the back of the inflation, which could easily have become triple digits, causing a, a severe downturn in 81, 82. But then to continue the narrative, we then went into a period of disinflation, lower and lower inflation, <clears throat> after what Volcker had done. And then we had two extremely mild recessions. We had the recession of 1991, the recession of 2001, extremely mild recessions. Why was that? Why did why did the recession suddenly become very mild, almost you know not imperceptible, but affecting only a relatively small part of the labor force? Why was that difficult for me to explain, and I think difficult for Austrians to explain? So uh, even even with the benefit of hindsight, we can't completely account uh, for what uh, what has happened to the U.S. economy. Uh, then, of course, going into uh, 08, 09, then suddenly we have the most violent downturn since the Great Depression. And I, I, can, I can only tell people that I know what caused it. I know that it was the government-induced housing bubble that caused it. 
uh, that sparked it. But then if I meant, then I asked, what, but then why was it as severe as it turned out to be? I, I then say that's a separate question and I don't have a full answer to that. I respect those who claim that it was really a, a mishandling on the part of particularly bad mishandling on the part of the Federal Reserve that caused it to be as severe as it turned out to be. Uh, and so I'm only unraveling uh, the, well, you maybe you have something to say to respond. I'm only just, saying that with the benefit of hindsight, we can't full, fully explain why we've had why we had 20 years of, my, of very mild recessions, 1990, and one, and and uh, and then why we went back into the mode of very severe recessions. What were you going to say? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think uh, the the derivatives market and the amount the amount of debt that was in the system that was not fully understood is yeah. is largely why the 0809 collapse was so detrimental and so catastrophic is that mm. there was there was all this counterparty party risk and everybody thought that they that they were balanced and then you have one guy you have you know Bear Stearns or Lehman Brothers or whoever that goes under and then all of a sudden you have this you know cascading default system and i my my fear is that we have I don't. I don't have any faith in regulators that they have remedied that issue, mm. and and that we aren't once again leveraging up under under the scene or under the covers in, in a way that people have no full grasp of. Mm. Uh, and I think that it hasn't been remedied. I think that there is still you know trillions and trillions of dollars of derivatives that that are potential time bombs. That if you have an increasing interest rate cycle of any magnitude, you will feel that pain again. And I, my, my belief is that the reason that we had such a, a long run of mild recessions, this is just my thesis. I don't, yeah. I don't, I couldn't prove it, but um, that because, because Volcker broke the back of inflation and then we had these super high interest rates, they were able to progressively come down over the years, over the decades. And then you got into, you know, absurdly low interest rates in the early two thousands where it was 5%. And then, now it's even more absurdly low this time. Um, and also pair that with the fact that our national debt was relatively minor, you know, compared to these days, um, compared well, to GDP. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that would be that would be my reason for greater increasing concern, essentially. Like I can understand why yeah. back then the recessions would be mild, whereas today it seems as if it makes logical sense that they would be more severe as the debt overhang is so much more significant. Is that is that unfair in any way? Well, no, you make a, you, again, you make a plausible argument. And I guess, uh, you know, looking back, I could uh, talk about certain uh, changes uh, that uh, were probably very lucky accidents for, for the U.S. economy. Uh, I mean, Austrians might regard this as irrelevant, but uh, the end of the Cold War uh, that started in 1990 actually yeah. brought a lot of good things. It mm -hmm. opened up the world to cheap labor, uh, cheap labor from China, from yep. from former uh, communist nations, uh, which I think did have an effect on, on, on disinflation, a powerful effect. And actually, I think to some degree, it still has the potential to continue to play out. Uh, sure. And, and the uh, advent of the internet as well. I mean, there's there's yeah, lots yeah. of reasons that the, the past yeah. 30 years have been amazing. It's just that yeah. it seems as if the central bank and their manipulation of interest rates, the most, yeah. you know, the most important market mechanism in terms of assessing risk and, and evaluating investment decisions, it's totally fucked up, you know, mm -hmm. to put it in a completely non-Austrian way. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's made it as someone who is a money manager who has 
I have brokered and been the fiduciary on hundreds of millions of dollars of real estate investments. I, I can no longer evaluate this market with any certitude. And, and, and where, that's where horrifying. You, well, I, I'm, uh, I'm glad to know a guy who's uh, about to come into uh, millions of, uh, of units worth of shitcoin. Uh, and uh, uh, where, where do you plan to put some of that shitcoin? Uh, uh, this is, this is by far this. I mean, honestly, this is why yeah. I was so happy to have you on because I oh. am struggling so so, so mightily to yeah. make that decision. Maybe I, I could I, help. It. Yeah. You know, not not that I was going to ask you for specific investment advice, but yeah. I, I just really wanted to bounce my ideas off of you yeah. and see the differences of opinion and feel. I mean, I am I am also a, and I want to transition to this because I think it's yeah. important for our audience yeah. is that I am a huge fan of the cryptocurrency space. Oh. I am I am simultaneously also very concerned because. I think that, and I, this is kind of the you know Peter Schiff perspective, but yeah. the the federal government has demonstrated a willingness to do essentially anything to protect the dollar's hegemony globally. And for for us to believe that just because Bitcoin is a better money, yeah. that it, that they will allow it to be, is is in my view a little naive. Oh. Um, but then also, I think that, you know, whether or not, and it, that's not, it's also naive to think that the government could stop it because obviously the government is terrible at prohibition. They can't stop anything. So like, I'm not okay. saying that there isn't tremendous merit and tremendous hope for it, but at the same time, I think there's going to be massive fits and starts where like, and, and also, I'm also a fan of some of the so-called shit coins, the altcoins out there that I think have merit as well. And I, and I struggle to figure out which of them will win the day and will Will the federal government allow it to become legal tender in the sense that you can actually like non-agorist uses, like you can actually use it above board and not have capital gains? Because if they have capital gains on it, yeah. there's no yeah. way this is going to be as good as money. I mean, it's just it's not it's going to be an investment vehicle. It would be like gold, um, but it can't it can't actually replace the dollar. At least that's my view. So what do you think? OK, well, you're quoting Peter Schiff, but of course, Schiff favors gold. And, and so what so the, the same argument you've made applies even more forcefully to physical gold, right? About the government preventing you from using it and all the rest sure. of it. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, uh, we are going to have sponsor yet again, a debate on Bitcoin at, uh, at uh, uh, Porkfest. So maybe you could come up for that. Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think you basically said yourself though, that uh, you, you see a uh, plausible scenario whereby uh cryptocurrency could prevail i'm i didn't hear I, i'm not clear what you just mentioned about you like other kinds of other kinds of shit coin did you mean other kinds of cryptocurrency competing yes. cryptocurrency you yeah. meant that yeah 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 well, because I, I like some of the features of some of the other ones whereas oh yeah? obviously bitcoin is clearly the powerhouse at at present yeah well uh, you you're certainly right that uh the uh the the, the capital gains uh imposition uh, currently imposed on on bitcoin does limit its potential as money. Uh, I think there could be pushback on that, though. I mean, that's. I mean, I, I, obviously, what we're going to need is uh, a crisis of the dollar, uh, and uh, uh, and it's going to be a messy transition. You know, I think that there are certain here. I won't name people, but some of the uh, free market oriented economists who comment on Bitcoin don't 
understand that if Bitcoin is going to get anywhere, it does have to happen from an upheaval. It's not going to be a pleasant transition. You know, yeah. Bitcoin is not going to be adopted uh, because some, some a bunch of rational people decide to do it and that the philosopher kings who run government are going to say, yeah, let's do it. That's <laughs> right. not going to happen. It's going to be through upheaval. The dollar is going to have real problems. There could be a real popular move into, into Bitcoin. And if it is sufficiently popular, then there might be a reversal of the capital gains uh, imposition on it. Uh, and uh, so I think that you can't rule that potential out because if Bitcoin really is liked by a lot of people, then uh, the politicians might have to respond. And uh, well, that, I, I agree with you. I mean, yeah. I think that's that's a very hopeful outlook and one yeah. and one I, I pray for. I, I, my, my concern is we've seen, are you, are you an adherent to the petrodollar theory that they have essentially committed incredible war crimes across the globe to maintain the use of the U.S. dollar in global trade, or, or do you not buy into that? The war crimes. Well, I certainly believe that the war crimes have been pretty warlike and pretty criminal. <laughs> okay. So, so we, well, the, the far, thesis being that, that, that far, we, but the, go ahead. Yes. Yeah. The, th the thesis being that they, that they have, they have used cover when in reality, many of these interventions have been about, um, you know, Gaddafi and, and Saddam and a handful of others, uh, the threats against Russia uh, is about them not using the US dollar in exchange for oil. Um, that's what a lot of people believe is the, the real underpinning to the value of the US dollar globally. Have you ever heard that theory? Uh, I guess I vaguely heard it. I, I'd have to hear much more about it to, uh, to believe it. Uh, sure. There's an, I mean, the point I like to make is that uh, the, 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 there's a natural tendency to have one currency in the world and that uh, the, the world traders have a short pencil and, and they can't deal with all the balkanization of currencies that, that, that nation states create. Mm -hmm. And clearly the dollar was the most convenient uh, unit of account. And once it's established, then it's very hard to displace. So mm -hmm. I see very powerful natural forces that have made the dollar, it's not just petrodollars, not just that oil trades in dollars, uh, virtually everything else trades in dollars in the world, Certainly. by the yeah. way. Right. And, and uh, I, I, I see it as just a, a, the natural tendency on the part of the world market to, to have a simple unit of account. And the dollar just has happens to be by far the handiest unit of account. So I don't see that you need uh, war crimes in order to bring this about. Uh, it, uh, you know, the the uh, I'd like to see the uh, Bitcoin replace it. If the dollar starts to collapse, if it becomes extremely volatile, then hopefully Bitcoin will become the unit of account. That would be wonderful. Let's say the world want, Let's say the the traders of the world decide that that and and drift toward Bitcoin as the unit of account. But the euro and uh, or the renminbi as it's been the Chinese the yuan those currencies don't seem to be good uh, alternatives to the dollar. So don't you see the compelling argument just in terms of world trade? And that's, sure. that's by the way, my main point when I argue with crazy people who tell me, I could, some of them are actually have standing as Austrians and free marketeers. They actually think that if left to the market, we'd have balkanized money. We'd have like 90 competing currencies, just like we have all these competing cryptocurrencies. But the fact of the matter is there's a natural tendency for one or two 
uh, most two, probably one, kinds of currency to dominate. Everybody gravitates. There's a network effect. Everybody gravitates to one currency. The sure. balkanization of currencies is not is not is not a market uh, 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 created uh, problem. It's created by nation states. Yeah, I think there would be a tendency to one currency. The the only difference being that it would likely not be fiat. It would be a currency that that has some underlying asset value. Well, well, or it could be Bitcoin, which which sure. Arguably doesn't have asset value, which doesn't trouble me anymore. But but uh, but uh, getting back to the or point, limited then, supply, you, yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. Then, if you agree with me that what we observe in the world is just the natural tendency to, to trade in one currency, then uh, then we don't need this devil theory about the war crimes. The war crimes are bad enough without having to blame them, having to say that they're the ones, they're the things that defend the dollar. I mean, I regard it as implausible because the war criminals probably don't know the difference between a, a dollar and a euro anyway. They're too damned idiotic. You 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 underestimate. I mean, I think you know government consists of about ninety different kinds of. Lunatics often who, who don't talk to each other, and so I think that that's another problem with this with this analysis. The war criminals don't give a damn about the dollar, that so and and the dollar people don't know too much about the war crimes. So that's another reason why I think it's implausible. But that's incidental. It's it's easy enough to explain why the dollar dominates in world trade by by this by the simple point about that's what normally happens in markets. They use one unit of account. Well, and, 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 it's funny when you say petrodollar, which again is like saying price. This is not just petrodollar. Everything trades in wheat trades in the world in terms of dollars. It's yeah. all priced in terms of dollars. They, they, that, that, by the way, is empirically verified by the Bureau, I forget the um, forget the source, the, out of Switzerland. They do an analysis every couple of years about trading, and they show that 90% of the trades, the dollar is on one or the other side of it. The dollar is always mm -hmm. involved, way out of proportion to, to the extent to which the U.S. Uh, economy participates in world trade. Sure. And that's what, well, and that's what sustains the dollar, people have to have a few dollars in their pocket in order to make purchases. They have, right. to have a little bit of liquidity. No, but yeah, I, I would I would never go so far. I mean, I'm not even like a full-blown petrodollar adherent, but there are there well, again, are again, you're using the term petrodollar, but I think it's a misnomer. I'm trying to clean well, up your a, language. It's a, it's a theory, sir. I'm not I'm not I'm, I'm just not saying, saying it. I'm just saying we're not. <laughs> I'm just saying that it, it 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 that the use of the word petrodollar leaves the impression that only oil trades in dollars. That everything trades in dollars. That's that that's a slight exaggeration. Oh, I will There's let a the lot else that trades theorists. in the world other than dollar, other than oil. <laughs> I'll, I'll let the I'll let the conspiracy theorists know. It, I'm just I'm the I'm using that they're slightly ignorant of the economics. <laughs> everything trades in dollars. Of course they are. They're conspiracy theorists. Of course yes. they're ignorant of economics. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, oh, but yeah. I mean, there there are there are weird confluences of events where there uh, Assad, Gaddafi, Saddam, all of them float the idea of, of not no longer using the the U.S. dollar to to sell their oil or allowing it oh, for the sales I of see. oil. And then they get struck. Yeah. Oh, so this this is and oh, and there's more there's more examples of this. I, I won't oh, bore you with the idea, but um, it I is. See. Oh, you mean was that true of uh, Saddam Hussein as well? Is that why they toppled him? That's it, that's the belief, yeah. What? Oh Christ! Saddam Hussein was kissing our ass. He he was willing. He he when he invaded uh, what's this <laughs> Kuwait, he wanted to make a sweetheart deal with the U.S. He would have done anything if we just asked him. We just didn't invade. Oh no, we had, we had plenty of other reasons that we went went there. I, I, yeah. Anyways. 
Saddam Hussein was not threatening to, to quit dealing in dollars. I mean, he, or if he ever spoke about it, it was probably, probably it was just some vague threat. He could easily, we could easily have gotten him to behave himself about the dollar. If we just told him, we're not going to kill you and we're not going to invade your country. It would, oh, it yeah. would have been easy. And then my God, I mean, the whole, uh, the, the, the Gaddafi thing started with Hillary Clinton. I guess, you know, she was the one who was really instigating, but I guess she's the one who's concerned about the dollar. Okay. Maybe, I don't know. Well, uh, see, this is uh, this is the thing. I don't actually believe that it's the politicians that are concerned about the dollar. I think it's the the moneyed interests that that own I, the politicians that okay, actually. Okay, no, set no, that I way. understand, but they have <laughs> they obviously have to deal through the politicians. They have yeah. they have to get them. Okay, fine. But yeah. in any case, as I say, we when we when we have it's like an Occam's basic point when we have an easy enough explanation for why the dollar dominates, just in terms of our understanding of markets, then I think that's sufficient. Sufficient <laughs> unto the days the evil thereof, even though the War crimes, of course, are quite criminal and quite awful. That I completely grant. But I just, they I have just their had, different. They they have their different motivation. Wolf I just had such, the rest of those bloodthirsty people want to kill, and they love to kill. They love to dominate the world. It's again, it's sex, money, and power. That's what they get out of it. But I just ahead, had yes. such a like surreal moment realizing that I was arguing conspiracy theories with Gene Epstein. This was very fun for me. So uh, well, I'll keep. Okay. I believe in a few conspiracy. Anyway, but, but, <laughs> I'll, I'll I guess keep I want to end on one note just so that you can pour your scone on me completely. I think I heard you recently talking about how uh, the price indexes tend to understate price inflation. And there I will tell you that it. what's interesting is that the price indexes have always had a difficulty dealing with the price of housing. And, uh, and they, I mean, it's an interesting history. The way the price indexes deal with the price of housing, and I should begin by saying, you know, price indexes are just sort of like an art and not a science. They're a bit of a metaphor. They're useful. They, they tell us something. They're, they're, it's better to have them than not to have them. But, uh, and so I can't say that they're science, but they have a quasi-scientific aspect to them. Uh, they deal with the price of housing in a way that uh, means that right now the price indexes are understating uh, house price, house inflation. They're understating the price indexes, but over the course of a complete cycle, they catch up. Uh, but so they but but right now they're understating. On the other hand, with that said, on balance, the price indexes over the long run and even over the relatively short run uh, overstate price inflation. And mm. the, I know. Oh well, you're nodding. I thought you were going to say, "What kind of an idiot are you to say that?" I know my my colleagues. Uh, and my friends among the Austrians believe the exact opposite, that there's a real conspiracy going on for the government's government-run price indexes to understate inflation, when actually it's, they're run by a bunch of bureaucrats uh, who, who tend to uh, tend to overstate inflation. Uh, Interesting. And, uh, and so, I mean, well, you're nodding and you think that maybe I know what I'm talking about. I'm yeah, of course. Surprised. Why would I not? Why would I not? Well, because I think... <laughs> I think you've heard just the opposite. Didn't you say, was that you I heard? Because of course I got my fingers through the walking. I thought I was listening to your podcast. Didn't you say to somebody just a couple of weeks ago about, about those goddamn government people are probably uh, uh, probably uh, uh, understating real price inflation? Didn't you blurt well, that out? Yeah, I, cert I do believe in the, like, but but you just explained it pretty well that well, in the short term, they, they could be measuring it incorrectly in the long term, they get it right. Like Again, you're getting back to only housing. I just said housing is just one part of the price index. I, I think you just such Did a I housing say housing? Guy. What I'm saying? I don't think I said housing. What I said, then let me repeat what I said because I apparently okay. didn't make it clear. This one aspect of the price uh, of the price index is housing. Right. Uh, 
is, is oh, does reflect inflation fairly well over the course of a full cycle of ups and downs, but right now it's understating inflation. But all the other parts of the price index, which are the majority of the of, of the price index, because because housing is actually not for most people most of what they spend money on, the majority of the price index uh, pretty consistently uh, uh, overstates inflation. That's okay. what right now is overstating inflation. Most of the time, it's overstating inflation for reasons that I could explain, uh, and uh, and that that I think. You uh, you don't believe that's all I'm saying. I think you have your doubts well, about that. No, 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 please please explain then. I, I I'm well. It's I, a like, long story. I, no, I'm no. not I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not like stuck in my ways here. I'm I'm okay. I'm a learner. <laughs> oh, fair enough. I, well, I just wondered what you heard, uh, but I mean, it generally shocks people uh, to explain it. But probably, I mean, it's a bit of a long technical explanation. But I guess I could say like three different points briefly are that uh, that, for example, the price indexes have this very technical way of linking uh, from one uh, sample to another. And mm -hmm. so they completely missed the Walmart effect and the Amazon effect. Uh, right. That they they didn't record the fact that Walmart was cutting prices because suddenly I mean I could explain the technicalities of well, it. Well, just tremendous suddenly, economy of scale, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. Just tremendous economy of scale where they get to have price reduction. Well, Walmart. Well, Walmart whole thing was, of course, the, you know the death of prices. They control their 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 suppliers. That that was, you know, of course, the whole success of Sam of of, of Sam Walton. That right. uh, he sold uh, he sold brand name goods at a at a steep discount in these immense stores that seemed inappropriate for, for the for the neighbor that they were in, and he made a fortune doing so. And the B, the, the 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 price indexes missed it because of the technical way that they're designed. The odd part of it is, I guess. The basic picture you have to understand is that the price indexes are run by a rather a, a fairly intelligent bureaucrats, but they just are bureaucrats and they're not equipped to deal with the entrepreneurial aspects of the of, of the US economy. Similarly, the price indexes miss the Amazon effect, also discounting where new in, a new organization is suddenly selling the same goods and then they just link it and they don't record the decline. Uh, also, uh, they, they almost completely missed the smartphone effect. The, the smartphone Smartphone comes along in 07, 08, and 09, very rapidly adopted, and it and and they didn't know what to do with it. It replaces a camera, a flashlight. It just blows their mind, and and they just link it to the cell phone. You know, so the smartphone obviously brought down the cost of so many things. I don't own a watch anymore. I just use my my uh, my phone as my watch. Uh, I, we don't need GPS navigators anymore. The phone doesn't. So they missed that too. So I'm just giving you three examples of the fact that they. They, that they that that the entrepreneurial aspects of the U.S. economy plus the quality improvements are very difficult for them to keep up with. So yeah. that it's not major, but but the but the official estimates uh, from uh, that from that emanated from what was called the Boston Commission of of the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, understating inflation every year by an average of zero point nine percent, which isn't huge, but over time it adds up. And then the the personal consumption expenditures deflator which is a different index run by uh, the Bureau of Economic Analysis, not by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, understates inflation by a little, uh, by close to a half a percent. I have, those differences mount up over time. And so when, 
when you take wages or salaries or anything and you're deflating them by a price index over 10, 15, 20 years, you get a significant difference. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, because uh, the, you know those differences mount up. Yeah, compounding. Sure. 3% inflation. Uh, I, I thought I would shock you by making this point. Uh, no. But, uh, no, but you're I, saying, yeah, okay, maybe you know what you're talking about. Fair enough. But, yeah, well, of course, I'm not going to... Yeah. I'd be foolish to just dismiss it offhand. I think it's I important know. and to add to my tool tool belt yeah. uh, to figure out. I mean, I, I am very committed to getting a handle on what I actually see coming down the road. So yeah. any cool. anybody that can that can add to that is is you know welcome. Uh, well, so I well, really appreciate well, it. Well, fair enough. I I mean, I, it's a little bit of a digression because certainly when we're talking about. 10 and 12 percent in uh, price inflation, which which was occurring in the 1970s, then a half a percent or, or uh, nine tenths of a percent doesn't make a huge difference. Sure. Uh, but I'm I'm saying that in terms of of, of measurement uh, uh, that that might be applied for the last 10, 15, 20 years, it begins to mount up. It does make a difference. And certainly, uh, again, I will tell you that virtually every podcast I've ever heard that's libertarian or free market, where they mention price indexes, that's where they constantly say, oh, well, you know, of course, we know that whatever the, whatever the government said, two and a half percent up, we know that they're bullshitting. It's probably a four percent. I mean, I'm, everybody calls a guy named John Williams. I don't know if you've heard him. He runs something called Straight Shooter. He claims that Price, oh, you've heard of him? He's yeah. a pal? Oh, yeah. No, no, I've just heard of him. Okay. Well, he quotes he quotes price inflation at like five and six percent. Mm-hmm. And what are the absurd implications of that? And I, I gather he believes it. And I, uh, is that is that we've had no economic growth at all over the last uh, ten years? Uh, because obviously we we've had uh, uh, nominal uh, growth of about four to five percent. And right. so if you deflate that by six percent, then you go in the hole. It's negative, yeah. It's negative. And I guess he believes it has been negative, but then we have so much other information about uh, independently derived about employment, about businesses that indicate we definitely did have some kind of expansion sure. uh, over the last 10 years. So that that, that then makes it absurd uh, to believe what John Williams says. Uh, but uh, again, uh, I, I, I have a chip on my shoulder and not obviously not appropriate in your case because you're saying, well, maybe you know what you're talking about. Whereas whenever I mention this, uh, to most podcasters who interview me who are free market, they're very, very uh, skeptical of what I claim uh, to be the case. They do have, it's a, it is a kind of another conspiracy theory. They, they seem to, they seem not to understand again, that government consists of like, you know, 90 different crazy organizations, often, often uh, fighting organizations. Each other. What was that? Oftentimes fighting each other and not fighting each other, not communicating with each other. And the tradition of the statistical uh, mills, I know these people well. I covered the 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 the, uh, the, the uh, numbers for over a quarter of a century. I got to be friends with a lot of them uh, uh, and I understand how they work and how they do things. And uh, clearly they do have a tradition of understating uh, uh, of uh, what did I say? Uh, of overstating a price inflation, uh, and uh, and of course, obviously, what 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 you what you also find is because you 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 uh, you talk to people who will give you the, the typical anecdotes where prices go up, they really feel it. 
Mm-hmm. But but if a whole lot of prices are trending down, they don't really notice it so much. So sure. that's why people in their mindset do think they do tend to think that well, you know, the the official numbers are wrong. People people who get the social security checks hiked by the CPI every year always think they're getting cheated uh, for that reason. In addition, I think as as most people go through the life cycle, they tend to buy more and more expensive goods. They tend to buy more services and services are expensive. So that cost of living naturally goes up through the life cycle and they tend to confuse that with the price indexes that don't capture the life cycle, just to caption what uh, prices uh, really are. Although with that said, again, the price indexes are just basically uh, very gross approximations that there's no way to, uh, to precisely estimate uh, where sure. prices are going. Well, I think that's really great, interesting feedback. And, and I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to admit I, I perceive greater inflation because I am so in tune exclusively with the real estate market. Call and it price inflation. Let's go over the lessons of today. Price inflation. Sorry. Price inflation. And again, I agree with you. Look, we've seen uh, we've seen an upsurge of price inflation. Uh, the 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 uh, the wholesale price index, otherwise technically called the producer price index, over the last four months, it's got it's risen at an annualized rate of ten to eleven percent. Uh, and so that's the official price index. And so uh, I do, I, I'm, I'm again, only saying that, uh, that, that they, that the typical price indexes overstate inflation by less than 1%. So that's not that serious. So to some degree, it's a digression. It's not speaking to your point. I do see a risk that, that the, uh, that the, that the surge in price inflation, the CPI is up uh, nearly 5% year over year, or those surges could uh, could uh, could persist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do, as I say, I do see an argument that they could subside. But going back to the point, when you talk about price deflation, you're basically just talking about your expectation that these two very key assets, housing and stocks and equities, are going to collapse in price, which I also think uh, cannot be ruled out. Uh, yeah. uh, is qu- quite plausible. Well, uh, you. You cleaned up the language, but you you got you got my thesis exactly right. So I, I cleaned up the I cleaned up the language, but uh, uh, I don't know if I enlightened you completely. No, uh, totally. You 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 uh, you do have a plausible scenario. I'm not going to be astonished if it doesn't quite play out. Uh, I uh, I won't be the least surprised if it does. Right. I'm actually <laughs> relieved to think that you that you see it happening over three to five years. So probably you should put all that shitcoin into the stock market for the next two years cash out and you know, maybe, timing maybe. is everything as in, in comedy as an in investment timing is everything <laughs> except i don't know how to time so i just i do do what i can but anyway hey look good luck to you and this has been really oh you want to maybe you want to ask some more questions well, let, let me let me let me wrap with one last question and sure, you said sure. ti- timing is everything yeah. you're uh, speaking of timing and comedians uh, yeah. Your your boy Dave Smith, my boy Dave Smith, got yeah, yeah. got dragged through the mud this morning. Uh, you probably haven't seen it, but I, if you had, I wanted to ask you about it. Did what you happened? see the dragged through the mud? I'm yeah, Seth, Seth Simons, this guy who's who's been on the on the hunt to cancel comedians for the past four or five years, including the Legion of Skanks guys. He he wrote a completely vicious piece about Dave that came out this morning. Um, and Nick Sarwak, of all people, retweeted it, which is Seth. Somebody named Seth Simon. Well, it yeah. was a. I'm sorry. It was so how did how was it released by Twitter? It was like linked. To, no, it's to- yeah, it's a link. It's a link to an article, and then um, Nick Sarwak posted it with his description going. There are some people that wish that this man would be president. 
you know, fools or whatever, you know, commentary he added to it. It's just, it's just very disappointing. I, I, uh, I'm just curious to see, or I just wanted to get your feedback on what you think about Dave, if he chooses to run, um, are you, well, are you I would support him? I look, I, I, God, I, I think that he's got to clean up his grammar. He's got to say uh, you and I, rather than me and you, uh, he's probably knows since he does appear on Fox TV, he probably can clean up his language. Uh, he's going to go to freedom fest where I happen to know that the guy who runs it, get this story. I use the word capitalism at freedom fest. And Mark Skousen got angry with me. Oh my gosh. Just for using the word crap. So so if Dave is going to introduce himself as the most consistent motherfucker, Mark is going to send the security cop to drag him <laughs> off the stage. So Dave knows that. Now, Dave also, my, my harshest criticism I can make of Dave is that um uh he obviously had his sort of a, a you know a, a drinking and drugging uh, and orgiistic uh 20s uh, th through that period and then he got married had a kid and 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 he turned into some kind of you know puritan on us he now he's a christian conservative <laughs> practically well do you know that the worst and dumbest thing dave ever said <laughs> was something to the about uh, uh, some woman had posted something and Dave made some remark about women who've never had kids and they're all screwed up if they've if if they're women who've never had oh, kids. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw that one. You mean you saw that one? Yeah, I remember. Oh, what? No, I mean that was pretty goddamn dumb. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I and, and I made allowances for him because you know because again he swung from one extreme to the other. <laughs> right. Suddenly he's becoming an upstanding middle class bourgeois who's got a kid, maybe <laughs> another kid on the way. So that was very foolish uh, of him to say. And sure. and I wanted to you know tell him I hadn't spoken to him in a while. I wanted to tell him please quit with those dumb remarks. Uh, be, be, we're both thick libertarians. I appeared on a show and I said, we are both thick libertarians, but let's at least have a little bit of tolerance for people who want to lead different lives. Oh yeah, I was making a case for sex workers. You know, I, I even, I, I pained Dave severely by saying to him, look, what if your daughter became a sex worker? And of course, of course, when he heard that, he, he was he was going to say, I would, you know, you know, God, he went crazy at the, at the thought, you know. So I was trying to get him to be a little bit more tolerant of different choices people make in life. But that's the worst I can say about Dave. Uh, and I believe that uh, it's been, a, you, you verified this. He hasn't made crazy remarks like, like childless women are all screwed up. He, does, he hasn't said that in a long time, right? No. He's, he's, yeah, okay. He's leveled off. He's gotten a little bit more uh, perceptive about the world. He's no longer full of himself about a husband, being a husband and father. And I think it's wonderful that he is. Uh, yeah. so, he's, so, he's, so he's righted himself. But apart from that, what else can you say about Dave that's bad? What, what does this guy try to say? Seth? What, what did oh, you he, he took, he, I mean, that he's, you know, he's a white nationalist sympathist, sympathy person and, um, you know, fascist tendencies and all, just all sorts of horrendous. Well, does he substantiate any of the fascist tendencies? You mean, well, well because. It's because it's it's all it's all affiliation stuff and and you know passing comments taken out of context when he has Richard Spencer on his show four years ago and bullshit like this. I mean, it's oh. you'll you'll see it. It's nonsense. Oh well, but. yeah. Well, of course, look. Of course, we know that that uh, that Dave Dave um, loves to have uh, a whole range of people on his show uh, who uh, some of us regard as somewhat repellent. I don't think I I don't think he would put Adolf Hitler on. I don't think he would put Hermann Goering on. So he would probably draw the line at certain types. Uh, I I think that if if you're going to comment on the on the point that he's put certain people on whom we shouldn't put on, I think it's just carping. It's it's not a. He certainly wants to engage these people. 
basically it's admirable if it if it had if you and I might say oh you shouldn't have put this person on because he's so obnoxious then I I, I still think it's just a carping criticism mm-hmm. I'll be maybe it's a valid criticism but it's still carping and and splitting hairs and right. so uh and and clearly uh dave is is pure uh in terms of his commitment to libertarian principles and so oh, yeah. uh, i can and and quite articulate so i guess at the end of the day i guess you admire him as much as uh as much as i do and, oh at uh, least yeah. yeah i'm a huge fan and i, I was just curious if it, if by some miracle of God he ends up in in the presidency, would you would you be open to uh, you know Secretary of the Treasury or something like that? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, absolutely. I would expect <laughs> I would expect no less to get, to get that appointment. Although I would certainly you know bring in some younger advisors since I'm 76 and losing a little bit of energy. But uh, for sure, you know what you know what you know gets back to the old joke when actually when when Noam Chomsky, you know who I still actually admire. Um, uh, was asked, uh, you know, what would you do if they made you dictator? He would say, I'd resign, I'd promptly resign. So, so therefore, we get back to those clips. But clearly, you and I would, you know, I would bring you in as my advisor because you know so much about housing. Uh, I appreciate it's very it. important to the picture. And of course, we would have to wind down uh, it, uh, it, its, uh, it, its activities, and that would be very useful. Yeah, going back to, the, I mean, the ultimate point about Dave in terms of the guests he's had on is that I like his uh, his point and probably it, 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 the point could be put most briefly that that it, that he would probably would have put John McCain on if yes. John McCain wanted to be on the show uh, Dave would have interviewed now I happen to think that John McCain is a war criminal yes but but he but all these people who attack him for some of the other people he's put on probably uh, like Nick Sarwak would would certainly think it's fine if he puts John McCain on. Um, oh yeah, and yeah. and so clearly uh, Dave has a right to defend himself that way. Uh, I. Uh, uh, I uh, I'm even surprised that 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 Dave is so roundly disliked by certain people. That I mean, the, in a way that perplexing. that naively surprises me. I I don't I don't think he's the sort of person who could provoke so much dislike. Uh, and uh, I, mean, I mean, maybe it surprises you too. Maybe you no, it, think- it very much surprises me. I, and uh, it's it, there's a common denominator is that most of the people that despise him do not listen to him. They 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 read his tweets and he has ideas that they disagree with. He may have. Uh, you know, tone or tact issues that they don't agree with. But for the most part, if you were to listen to him, you can tell his heart's in a good place. You know, he's not some Nazi. It's ridiculous. Um, but anyways, I don't, I don't want to get caught up in, in the uh, defense of Dave. Dave can handle himself. I really want to thank you for coming on, Gene. It was an absolute I'm going to go see. To. I have tickets, by the way, to, to catch. Amazingly, Dave is going back to comedy. Dave, Dave, getting back to my solo form. Dave was the warm-up act of my solo form whenever it was, almost whenever it was on the stage. I remember. And uh, and he did a great job. I mean, uh, I I think that what's the funny part of it is when I told him we could compile all those nine minutes of of, of jokes that you tell. But but part of the irony was that we never catch caught the laughter in the audience very well. So it almost sounded as though Dave is bombing. But, yeah. but that that in itself would be funny to catch. <laughs> but uh, but uh, but actually, uh, Dave, uh, I I I was excited to learn Dave is going to be appearing. Uh, he appeared Sunday night at a venue in Brooklyn, and I have tickets with my wife and a friend to catch him. This Sunday night in Brooklyn. Oh, lovely! Uh, he's going to be appearing uh, at eight o'clock, from eight to nine thirty, which isn't past my bedtime happily. So I'm going to be <laughs> catching him there. Uh, I love, so, I love uh, it. Well, and can... again, it's great because I was wondering, can Dave still do comedy? You know, I mean, he's been a little rusty lately. Yeah. 
with the comedy. So I'm 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 looking forward to seeing how funny he's going to be this coming Sunday night. And but you wanted to shut me up and thank me once again for being on the show. So <laughs> I do, I do. It, it really really was a, a dream of mine. So I really appreciate it. If you could just tell the audience about how to follow you, anything that you'd like them to know oh, about. Before well, you head please out. follow me on my Twitter. Uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter every day uh, at Gene Soa Forum. That's at Gene Soa Forum. And there I give notices of almost everything that's happening to me. Uh, and uh, so uh, that's uh, that's the place, best place to catch me. Also, I guess I didn't plug the Soul Forum podcast because this is a podcast. The Soul Forum podcast has all of the uh, podcasts, all of the debates, rather over 50 debates that the Soul Forum has ever run, including the three I did with socialists, including four others that I did with others. So seven debates with me and of course, uh, 45 debates conducted by others at the Soul Forum Debates podcast. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, if you want to uh, get better at debating, I would highly recommend you check out Gene's debates against some of these socialists. It, it, they were very educational for me. Uh, anyways, Gene, thank you so much for coming look on. Me up, look me up if you come to Porkfest in your van. Absolutely. Your... Hey, but yeah. Are you going to come? Are you going to come to Porkfest? I, I don't think I'll, because I'm, I'm moving out in July 15th. Oh. I don't think I can do both. So. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, uh, look me up. I'll, I'll be at Freedom Fest though, if you'll be there. Oh, yeah, we'll be there. You're going to be at Freedom Fest. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll be on Media Row. So we'll, we'll get to meet then. Media Row? What's Media Row? Media Row is just like the, the basically the podcast circuit that, that is, has enough following that you get to sit there and, and interview all of the people that come off stage. So it should be really interesting. Oh, okay. So you'll be there to interview me once again and, uh, and see. <laughs> so that'll can, be fun. We can see if, if my, if my uh, you know, price inflation language gets cleaned up by then. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, indeed. I'll be, I'll be on you like a tiger. <laughs> but anyway, so that's good. No, no, great. Great. Then, uh, so I'll see you at, uh, I'll see you at Freedom Fest uh, in, uh, in late uh, July. Perfect. Appreciate it, Gene. Talk soon. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweet from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go. The government knows, just don't get treated like a hoe. Like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening. Scared Hollywood lefties lyrical feminine. A typo and Luke might bring the nooses. We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses. Freckles and Brit, didn't know I could spit. Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit. Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcast sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty, now hear me roar Beat running up, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house The malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Liable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky Smooth Tom was the only sound Getting so hot must be air July Screaming in the mic a rip for 59 Monster ratio that black guns matter Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war but we're ready You know I'd be bopping and rock steady Liberty lockdown please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go It requires a fight not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought you've always got a home The virus is scared of will come and it'll go The government knows just don't get treated like a hoe